0: This is the Groupfinity podcast episode number 27. Welcome to the Groupfinity show, a podcast for leaders of volunteer organizations. We take the guesswork out of what works so you can focus on your mission, accomplish more, and get rid of administrative madness. And now, your host, who knows you are the 20% who does 80% of the work, Anthony Wilson. Welcome to the Groupfinity Podcast, no matter where you are and whenever you may be listening. Welcome back, Groupfinity Nation. Today, I'm speaking with Gigi Lawrence. Gigi founded Nonprofit for Newbies. It is a consulting and networking community to help new nonprofits get started. The key takeaways from my discussion with Gigi are, number one, be able to clearly explain your programs and what you do. Number two, get board members who will help you execute your mission. Number three, have people you are serving represented on your board. And number four, get local high school and college students to help with your social media at little or no cost. Check out groupfinity.com for the show notes and links for this episode. Be sure to stick around until the end to hear what inspired Gigi to start Nonprofit for Newbies. I'll be back at the end to wrap it up. Here's Gigi. So excited to have Gigi join me today. Hi, Gigi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks. I'm so excited that you are here because you started Nonprofit for Newbies to help people start their nonprofits. And in fact, you've helped over 100 individuals start and grow their nonprofits last year. So it's so great that you're here to discuss your findings with us to hear today. So tell me a little bit about Nonprofit for Newbies and how you help people set up their organizations.
1: Sure. So Nonprofit for Newbies is a consulting company, as well as a networking community. So you can actually find us on Facebook and on Mighty Networks as a networking community where we have other individuals who may have a great idea or they've been serving the community and they want to start a nonprofit. And we have others who may be two, three, four years in, but there, of course, there's so much that goes along with starting a nonprofit that they still feel like a newbie. And then we have a few individuals who are, you know, a little bit more experienced, maybe five, six, all the way up to 20 years of experience. And they're just there to share insight, lend a helping hand, consultants, accountants. We have all types of individuals in the community for networking along with our consulting services, which include um, helping you start a nonprofit. So going ahead and filing for 501c3 status, and also helping you with your business plan, strategic plan, grant writing, all the newbie things that a lot of people feel like in the community, they don't have access to that information. And they're looking for someone, a one-stop shop to get all those services taken care of.
0: So do you guys actually help people file their 501c3?
1: That's right. So we actually have walkthrough classes and we take care of filings for individuals for the 51 c 3
0: Oh, awesome. So is it like, is it do it yourself? You show people how to do it themselves? Or do you guys, do you guys actually help walk them through the process?
1: It really depends a lot. But some people like to be hands-on because they have the time for it and they want to feel very involved in the process. So we have that opportunity. I've had people come from all over the United States, especially before COVID, to come meet with me. And we would sit down and walk through the paperwork together and go through the trainings in the office. We've had people who like to do it on Zoom. But we've also had a lot of people who are like, listen, I work a full-time job. I just want to serve. Please just take care of this for me and let me know that you're going to do it the right way. And that's what we
0: do as well. Oh, nice. Interesting. So you mentioned accountants and other service providers. So do you kind of have a network of service providers that the people in your community can draw on? How does that work?
1: Yeah. So originally we did have a network where we would refer people to different services and we charged the um, individuals who are performing the services almost like next to nothing. We just wanted to make sure that we have vetted members of our community instead of people who, you know, cause you can just get anybody sometimes. You don't know who you're actually speaking to. So we wanted to do vetting on the individuals who are in our community and want to offer services. And those are the people that we recommended to our community members and to our clients. Over time, we've developed relationships with a lot of those individuals. So what we've done now is our top marketing consultant, our top grant writing consultant, top fundraising, we brought them under our network and they're able to access our CRM. So they perform independent services, but through nonprofit for movies. So we have both options available.
0: So you said marketing, grant writing, fundraising, accounting. Is there anything else?
1: Um, um, board development is a big one. We have a board development coach. We also have my friend, Sharla. She's a mission mindset. Um, that's actually taking it somewhere different. So a lot of people focus on the business aspect or they're focusing on serving the community. She focuses on that intention behind what you're doing and keeping that motivation to continue keeping that mission in mind.
0: So I find that a lot of nonprofits sort of struggle with what you just said, mindset right? They have imposter syndrome, I can't do this, or who's going to listen to us? We can't get enough people to participate and follow in what we're trying to do. What do you find with respect to that?
1: Truly, I really feel like it sometimes comes down to the foundation. If your foundation isn't structured correctly, then you don't know how to explain your process. You don't know how to explain your programs in the way that others are going to understand and be motivated to move forward with those services or that program and being involved. You have to be able to sell yourself, sell your organization. And in order to sell it, you have to know what you're selling and you have to believe in it. If you don't have confidence in how your board is structured, if you don't have confidence in how you're going to be able to fundraise this year to support these programs, you're not going to be confident to speak to someone else and ask them to put their time and effort into something that you're not really confident in yourself. So we do truly believe in foundation at Nonprofit for Newbies. That's why we specifically work with newbies because they're coming in, they don't know what their foundation is supposed to look like. Um, What's a law? What's an ethical guideline? What should I be doing? That's what we focus on to make, making sure that their structure is complete. That way, when they're bringing others onto their team, they have a solid structure that they can speak on and um, invite people in.
0: What is the most common challenge that newbie nonprofits face or are facing when they come to you? What are, so what are the most, what are the biggest challenges people say? Hey, look, we just can't get this right, Gigi. We, we need your help.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. First and foremost, if you have an idea, like this happens to me all the time because I know about nonprofit stuff, but if you ask me about trademarking, I'm going out here looking to trademark something and that's not my expertise because first I'm going to go on Google. (laughs) And when I go on Google, I'm going to be so confused. I'm going to see so many different links. Is this a scam? Is this a trustworthy network that I should be using? Is this the official government website, there's so many different questions that come about as a newbie. I find that a lot of people say, I just need to know how to start. What are the steps to start? And who should I trust to help me start my paperwork or help me start serving my community? What company should I be using? That's a point that I've heard a lot. It's just so many conflicting answers going on Google, it's super confusing. And then the other one is looking for board members. (laughs) Always someone is saying, my board members suck. These people are not helping me like they said they would. So... A lot of that is the expectations that they have and where the line isn't being met. So those are typically the top two issues.
0: And so you mentioned board members a couple of times here. So tell me about that. What are the biggest challenges that people have with their board members other than just they suck? Are the board members not fulfilling their roles? Are you just sitting on the board because they they like the title being a board member of X nonprofit, but they're not really doing any work? Like, How do you fix that problem? Do you help them go out and find new outside board members?
1: So, first and foremost, a lot of people, when they start a nonprofit, it's a solopreneur type of venture. A lot, not all. Some people are a team, they like, oh, we love serving the homeless together. Why don't we make this a nonprofit? But a lot of people are just solopreneurs and they go into it by themselves and then they find out oh the IRS said that i need to have a minimum of three board members let me just go ask my family and friends i know one of them i can trust them to be on my board and control the organization and yeah they like to ser- they like serving the homeless as well or i know they made baskets one day so yeah i'm going to bring them into the into my network and make them my board members but what you soon find out is well, sarah might be in, in med school and tom he has three jobs, like people are busy. And a lot of times the expectation isn't clear. So you think, okay, I'm going to ask, invite my family and friends. But then when it comes down to actually needing to get help and you realize you can't do it all by yourself, you don't have the proper individuals on your team. So sometimes that's the issue. And that might mean a board revamp, where we talk to people, what roles they can hold in the organization. Sometimes that might just be a volunteer role. Sometimes it might not be on the board. They might be able to dedicate an hour to each month or every few months. Also, if you have an individual who is on your board, but they just don't know exactly what they're supposed to be doing to help. So I'm on a board. In the first board meeting, I wasn't very clear about what the expectations were. So the founder she said hey this is what i'm doing she was very established like over five years that I said violence organization called voices of color she said hey this is what i've been working on we're about to get housing and all of these great things and she's like i need you guys to be on my board this is what i need you to do me of course it was business and helping with strategic planning, but what specifically, this is what we need to talk about. What specifically do you need me to do? What are the fundraising requirements? Do you require me to fundraise a certain amount each year? Those are all things that board members should talk about upfront. So that we are board members and founders should talk about upfront so that we know what the expectations are going forward. That way, if someone knows immediately, it's nothing personal, but if I don't have a thousand dollars a year to contribute to the organization and I don't have the time to supplement with strategic planning or whatever, whatever, whatever service I could provide to supplement for that money or reaching out to my network, then if I'm not willing to do that, then I might not be a good fit. So it's also that as well is sometimes an issue.
0: So you raise an interesting point. I hear a number of leaders, nonprofits say that get or give. You just said that sometimes maybe I can't give a thousand dollars. So would you recommend that nonprofits follow a get or give strategy? Either they go out and get a thousand dollars or whatever the number is, or they Mm -hmm. personally give it themselves. What are your thoughts on that?
1: So honestly, I don't think it matters. A thousand dollars is a thousand dollars, no matter where it comes from. I personally feel if I'm able to reach out to my network. If I'm willing and able to reach out to my network and ask for that money, that is me taking time out of my day and reaching out to a network who trusts me and using my trust to benefit the organization. So I personally feel, and this is debatable because a lot of people have different opinions on this. I personally feel that is acceptable as long as the organization is able to finance whatever programs they're needing. And you also need to take a look at who your demographic is. If you are serving the homeless, if you're serving domestic violence victims, if you're serving single mothers, you want to have representation of your community on your board, diversity, inclusion, all of that. If if you're serving minorities, you want to have minorities on your board. So you also need to consider if this individual was homeless, but they are passionate about what services we're offering, but they can't afford to give $1,000 a year, you don't want to cut them out of the picture or make them feel like they're not worthy of being on the board because they can't afford that exact cost. So it might be fundraising, even if it's not just reaching out to a network, but actually going out and handing out flyers or selling baskets for the organization. That's perfectly acceptable in my opinion.
0: I think that's a great answer. And some people can't give, but they can work. But it's. seems like what you're saying is the most important thing is make sure that you have a working board and have people just Mm -hmm. sitting on your board, not doing anything. You want to make sure that they're working. Absolutely. So since we've been in the pandemic, what have you seen the biggest issues nonprofits uh, in your community are facing?
1: That's a good question. Nonprofits in my community with the pandemic. I would say the biggest issue has been... Really, I think a lot of the individuals that I've been working with, um, this might not go for all founders, but a lot of them are very hands-on and they love to be front and center doing the work. That's what really pushes them forward. If they wanted to be back office administrative, they probably would have just gotten a job at a nonprofit or been a volunteer helping with character work or social media coordinating. A lot of them like to be out in the community and there are so many different restrictions now in regards to serving the community. I think that's also been a big struggle as well as even meeting with consultants or liking to speak with people face to face. I think that's been a big issue for people. I know a lot of my clients like to say, hey, can I come down? Hey, can I come down? Like, I got to quarantine for two weeks because I can't speak to the next person. That's been a real struggle just from a consultant perspective is just being able to meet people face to face. A lot of people like to work in the field and it's been a lot more difficult trying to protect yourself while also serving and making sure that no one goes um, left
0: without. And then what about fundraising specifically, because no one can have events because of the pandemic. What challenges have you seen specifically with respect to fundraising amongst the organizations that you work with? Have they gone to virtual events or they have they just not done anything?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, a lot of the individuals who are fundraising for nonprofit, if they're newbies, they're pretty much doing it themselves. So now they have to actually reach out to local colleges and figure out how to get that Instagram popping. <laughs> they got to figure out how to get that Facebook page up and running, how to get that donate button on their Facebook page because it, you can't go out into the community really and truly and just walk up to people and hand them flyers and talk to people all day. You can't do that. It makes people uncomfortable. Um, so now they have to really figure out how to use social media properly. A lot of, I've told a lot of my clients to reach out to local colleges, look advertisements and alumni paperwork, internships, AARP. If you have an office, you can get free uh, employees. Well, they pay the employees, but you can get free employees from AARP to help you with that type of thing. So a lot of individuals who might not have necessarily been focusing on the internet um, early on last year or the year before, now they're really looking to definitely try to virtually fundraise and get their friends to log on to Zoom and no one's been on Zoom before. But I think after a year or so of us all getting used to this new situation, a lot of people are adapting very quickly. But I can see definitely in the beginning, everyone trying to learn how to use Facebook, Instagram, Zoom has been a struggle for a lot of people.
0: And when you say that you're encouraging the reach out to local colleges, that to get college students to help them with their social media presence?
1: Absolutely. We've had uh, college students come into our community because a lot of them do need volunteer hours, even high school students, really and truly need volunteer hours. And they've asked, hey, does anyone need help? And they get way too many messages. They're like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I don't know if I should prove these anymore because you're going to get flooded. So maybe I can tell you a few organizations that I do know need assistance with social media coordinating. So definitely reaching out to them because they know what they're doing. They do it every day. Personally, and then also a lot of them are marketing students, and that's what yeah. they—that's their field. So that's perfect for them.
0: That's interesting. I hadn't really considered that before. Reaching out to college or high school students, get them to take over your social media, or at least to get them to execute your plan or work with you on executing a plan. Do mm-hmm. you curate? Do you do any curating like that? All? Do you have a pool of high school or college students that are good at that that you can then recommend to nonprofits? That's a
1: great question. I actually have not done that. That is
0: maybe you should should,
1: because I (laughs) call all the time. If I need help with anything, I will call a college student (laughs) and get it done because certain things, there's a lot of things that founders are responsible for and even business owners are responsible for and some of the little things you just don't need to be doing even if I know I can create content all day every day that's not the best use of my use of my time so since I do it myself I call a high school or a college student who I know has the time and sometimes even pay them it's not really if you look at the comparison of how social media can impact your revenue it. It doesn't compare if you're paying them a small stipend each month to provide the services and it helps them pay for their bills as well. So I do it all the time. I would definitely consider that.
0: So I know that in in our prior conversations, you talked a lot about budgeting and helping nonprofits with budgeting. Tell me a little bit about the challenges that nonprofits that you work with, have with budgeting and how you help them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so budgeting is definitely I would call it an intimate task. It does typically require a lot of ongoing conversations uh, because of budgeting, there's a lot to it, especially if you want to do it properly. With nonprofits, you don't just take the profit like you would with the for-profit. And Okay, today in my business, which is a for-profit business, if I make $5,000 more than I usually do, if I close a $5,000 deal tomorrow, I can go ahead and put in my business bank account and say, okay, I'm going on vacation the next day with that 4,000. You actually cannot do that with a nonprofit. You should have your budget properly structured so that the salary is already written into the budget, how much you're going to pay program directors, how much you're going to pay a grant writer, how much you're going to use on each program. It gets sticky because you want to make sure that the numbers are accurate. And then when you're applying for grants, you're also using those numbers. So typically it involves multiple conversations on the phone, maybe 30 to 60 minute consultations, walking through not only how many programs you have and what the description of those programs are. Also, exactly what you need to purchase for that program, how much it's going to cost, where are you going to buy it from, because... The grants will ask you that. You need to have that information already done or else you're going to be going back and trying to apply for a grant that's due in a week, trying to find that information of where do I even get this number from? That's just a big headache. So usually with budgeting, it's really important that every year we work on that budget. We take time um, and make sure it's structured properly.
0: Hey, Gigi, this has been great. I just have a couple more questions for you. On your website, you mentioned 100 plus nonprofits that you've helped. And all those nonprofits you work with, there have to be some great success stories. Do you have any that are front of mind that you could share with us?
1: Okay, that's a great question. So yes, there's been actually like a lot of success stories. I actually have a lot of them on my Instagram. I have a client cam where you can see some of our best stories. But honestly, the best nonprofit that I've ever served is the one that I'm actually on the board for, which is Voices of Color. Miss Tanisha, she serves domestic violence victims, and I don't, I can't necessarily tell the exact story, just, but it's a great organization, and there's actually so many. I'm trying to say it in a way that I can keep confidentiality, but there is so many opportunities. If you really look at the nonprofits, how you're serving them and the opportunities to just go out there and do things that actually impact so many more people than you would really believe. So with domestic violence, we've had a lot of individuals come in and really be appreciative of the services. And you don't really realize how much of an impact you've been making until you hear about that. But I've written business plans that I've known a lot of my clients to be able to get like 100 gift cards from Kroger. or They've been able to walk into Target, say that I say, hey, say this and that. And then they're able to get 200 gift cards and then be able to serve the homeless with that. So there's been a lot of stories, but just overall, I would say that domestic violence is the one that I'm passionate about. But overall, there are so many inspirational things that keep me motivated every single day. Uh, I really couldn't name them all, but they're wonderful.
0: Oh, great. Thank, thanks for sharing that. I certainly understand the confidentiality of that organization, but I appreciate you sharing. So you're so passionate about this, Gigi. What made you start this?
1: Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. So actually, I wanted to start my own nonprofit organization. So at one point I was a newbie and I was actually connected to my mentor, um, Ms. Juanita Grant, about five years ago and she was actual consultant as well. So she had brought in over a million dollars worth of grant. She has veteran on housing, she serves ex-offenders. Um, so she was doing great. She's a superstar in her city, which is actually my hometown in Harrisburg. And she's a hero. So I was really fortunate to be able to meet with her and we actually hit it off pretty quickly. So I was just pretty much almost like a volunteer, like an intern. And I was helping her with her Zoom meetings because that was completely new to her. And we actually uh, became almost like friends. And I was working with her pretty frequently on helping her moderate the Zoom meetings, which were teaching individuals 51 c 3 paperwork, and then also uh, writing her first few grants and all those different things. So uh, just being in the room with her over time, I started to pick up a lot of the information. And really, I just went there to learn about my own nonprofit, but I ended up learning how many people in you know, the world really didn't have this information and they didn't feel like someone was actually willing to share it with them and sit down and take the time to teach them in their own communities. When we started the Facebook group, it actually gained traction pretty quickly because a lot of people said, wow, I've been looking for this for a long time. I just didn't know where to look. So that's how our community started. And then it ended up being that so many people just needed help with their paperwork and help with their business and strategic planning that I ended up just saying, oh, I can't even work and help people. So now I got to quit my job and go full-time in this. And it's worked out ever since. So that's how we started.
0: Oh, nice. Great story. Great story. So where can people find you?
1: Yep. So we're on nonprofit for newbies.com. We are on Facebook.com slash groups slash nonprofit for newbies. That's how you can find our free Facebook community. And you can also find our business page on Facebook as well at Nonprofit for Newbies and Instagram. Same, same handle. We also have a mentorship community, which is NFN, stands for Nonprofit for Newbies Learning Academy. And you can find us in there as well where we actually walk individuals step by step through the phases of having an idea all the way up to applying for federal grants.
0: Hey, Gigi, this has been outstanding. I think the listeners are going to get a ton of value out of this. I really appreciate you joining me today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm so grateful to Gigi for sharing her knowledge with us today. She has tremendous resources on her website, nonprofitfornewbies.com. I include links to her website and resources in the show notes. To make sure you don't miss out on anything, go over to groupfinity.com and join the community by clicking subscribe. Also, go to wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show, and please be sure to leave a rating and review. Until the next episode, this is Anthony Wilson. Stay safe and be the leader that everyone wants to follow. Thanks for listening to the Groupfinity podcast. For more information about the show, to leave comments and connect with the host, head over to www.groupfinity.com.